You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman, let's meet the firsts. أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعدوان إلى على الظالمين والعاقبة للمتقين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا. So alhamdulillah رب العالمين we continue in the lives of our mothers may Allah سبحانه وتعالى be pleased with them and just a reminder that we've already covered many of the wives of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. in the first season of the first, when we were talking about the early muhajirat, the early uh, migrants from the Muslims, so the first Muslims. And now we're in the Madani period, and with Aisha radiallahu anha, as we said, though she's technically someone who made hijrah with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi due to her age and due to her earliest memories of Islam, we covered her in season two, though we talked about her in the capacity of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu and his family. With Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, who we're going to be speaking about tonight, Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha is the next wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam after Aisha radiallahu anha in terms of order. So after the death of Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, you have Sauda, Aisha, and then Hafsa. And Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, her story also begins in Mecca in a very significant way. Her father is, of course, Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and I'm not going to ask you who he is, because if I asked you, then you didn't answer me, then I'd get really frustrated. But does anyone know who her mother was? Okay. There was a man that we spoke about, and we did an entire uh, series, or an entire lecture on him, Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And if you remember, Uthman ibn Mad'un was married to uh, Khawla bint Hakim, who's actually the matchmaker at the time, the one who suggested Sauda and Aisha to the Prophet And his sister is a woman by the name of Zainab bint Mad'un. Zainab bint Mad'un. So this is one of the earliest families of Islam. Uthman bin Mad'un and his sister Zainab bint Mad'un. So Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha. Her father is Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Her mother is Zainab bint Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anha, who is the sister of Uthman bin Mad'un and the sister-in-law of Khawla bint Hakim. And the reason why this is significant again is because Zainab is one of the early Muslims. She's one of those that embraced Islam very early on. Her story goes through Abyssinia the way that many of those struggling Muslims went through Abyssinia to escape the persecution that was taking place in Mecca. And Uthman ibn Mad'un is the first migrant that was buried in Medina. So this is the family that she's being born into. Now Hafsa was born about five years before prophethood. So it would equal to the year 605, five years before prophethood. And she's the eldest child of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And that's why you find that Umar radiallahu anhu had the kunya, the nickname of Abu Hafs, Abu Hafs. Hafs being the masculine version of Hafsa, right? Abu Hafs. And the Prophet used to refer to him as Abu Hafs, and that was a nickname that was beloved to Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Her full brother is Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma. So you have Hafsa, 
you have Abdullah ibn Umar, and then you have Abdul Rahman al-Kabir, the big Abdul Rahman. Now here's something really cool about Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. When he heard something from the Prophet sallallahu he wanted to act on it, right? So he heard the Prophet sallallahu say, the most beloved names to Allah are Abdul Rahman and Abdullah. So he had Abdullah, then he named three sons Abdul Rahman. Abdul Rahman, the big one, Abdul Rahman, the middle one, Abdul Rahman, the small one. So Hafsa, so if any of you ever complain about your names not being original, all right, think about being Abdul Rahman, the middle one, or Abdul Rahman, the small one, right? So Hafsa has a full brother, Abdullah, and a full brother, Abdul Rahman, the servant of the most merciful, and of course, the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, what makes this important, just as we get into the story of Hafsa, how many of you have heard that Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu buried his daughters alive in the days of ignorance? Many of you may have heard that. And this was a common story that, you know, prior to 15 years ago, I, I remember saying it in a khutbah myself because it's something that comes through the books of Sirah, uh, secondary sources, because in the practice of the days of ignorance, they used to bury their daughters alive. And Umar radiallahu anhu, there's this whole story about him crying and regretting the moments that he buried his daughters alive. Uh, the truth is that that is a complete fabrication. Not that he wouldn't have been absolved from it, radiallahu anhu, because these were acts of the days of ignorance after which people repented to Allah. So there are companions who did undertake this hideous practice of burying their daughters alive in the days of ignorance. But that was not something that Umar radiallahu anhu's tribe was known for. This is not something that every tribe used to undertake. There are socioeconomic circumstances here that factored into which tribes would take part in that practice. And of the greatest proofs of that is the fact that Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha is his oldest and she is alive. He also has another daughter that's narrated to have been named Asiya, not Asiya, Asiya, disobedient. And the Prophet changed her name to Jamila. Okay, so there are two daughters that come through. So clearly this was not a practice of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu by the existence of Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha. So Hafsa is the oldest child of Umar ibn Khattab and she is a copy of her father. She acts like her father. She has many of the same spiritual qualities as her father and she is going to be praised for many of the things that her father will be praised with. And this is something subhanAllah that's very special about Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu is that his two children, you know, uh, his two, the, the two children that are most prominent in the seerah, being his oldest daughter Hafsa and his oldest son Abdullah, are both copies of him, right? And they both take the best of what he had radiallahu ta'ala anhu and they live that. Abdullah ibn Umar being a copy of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in terms of following his sunnah and his adherence to the sunnah and Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha being a copy in terms of her adherence to her acts of worship. So much so that she would be praised, as we'll see, even by Jibreel alayhi salam for the acts of worship that she used to undertake. So Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, being the oldest daughter of Umar radiallahu anhu, has another interesting twist to her story, which is that most scholars will actually say she became Muslim before her father. She actually embraced Islam before her father. And that is based upon her age. That's also based upon who her husband was. So her first husband is a man by the name of Khunais ibn Hudhafa radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Khunais uh, radiallahu anhu, we have a whole episode on him, so you can go back and watch it. Khunais radiallahu anhu uh, ibn Hudhafa, 
is the brother of the famous Abdullah ibn Hudhafa al-Sahmi who challenged the emperor of Rome, goes on to challenge the emperor of Rome. And Khunais, the first husband of Hafsa, was one of the first batch of Muslims, so much so that he's included, according to most scholars, in the first 20 people to embrace Islam. So this is the first husband of Hafsa, a righteous man named Khunais, of the first 20 to embrace Islam. He embraced Islam even before Darul Arqam, the house of Arqam, which was the place where they used to gather in Mecca privately to learn Islam before it even opened. So he's one of those early, early, early Muslims. And he and his entire family embraced Islam and they joined the migration to Al-Habasha, Abyssinia, modern day Ethiopia, to escape persecution. Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, will marry him at some point in Mecca. So depending upon where you put her marriage date to Khunais in Mecca, that's where you'll determine whether or not she embraced Islam before Umar or not. So there, there's a difference of opinion. It's not really clear because again, Meccan seerah is not as preserved as the seerah in Medina, as the biographies in Medina, where it was easier to document rather than when they were living under persecution. So she married Khunais radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Khunais was one of the beloved companions of the Prophet And when Umar and his family migrated to Medina as a whole, uh, 13 years later, Khunais and Hafsa were included in the family of Umar So this is a household that is deeply devoted to the Prophet that is moving swiftly with the Prophet وسلم, as he escapes persecution in Mecca. And they come to Medina, they stay together in the house of uh, Rifa'ah ibn Abdul Mundir, uh, as well as a man by the name of Abdurrahman ibn Jabr uh, anhum. And as they settle in Medina and the Battle of Badr starts to take place, Khunais is the only person from his tribe, from Banu Sahm. Who takes, place, who takes part in the Battle of Badr. And that's one of the praiseworthy traits that belongs to him. He's the only man from his entire tribe to belong to that lofty class of Al-Badriyun, the people that went out and fought in the Battle of Badr after escaping persecution. Now, Khunais he dies either after the Battle of Badr or after the Battle of Uhud. The reason why this gets important is because his death and the marriage of Hafsa to the Prophet ﷺ parallels the marriage of Uthman ibn Affan anhu to his wife. All right. So most likely he died after Badr, not Uhud. While most of the secondary sources will say that he died after Uhud, most likely it makes more sense that he died after the battle of Badr anhu. So he attains that lofty status of being a veteran of the battle of Badr as well as being a martyr. And he was buried next to Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu anhu, the first migrant from Mecca, the first muhajir buried in the graveyard in Medina. The first grave of a Meccan in Al-Baqir is Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu anhu. Next to him is Khunais radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the first husband of Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha. They had no children. Hafsa is in this awkward place of being a widow in Medina now and wondering what her fate is going to be. And that's where you start to see Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu looking for a match for his daughter Hafsa. SubhanAllah, this story is profound because 
It shows you the way a community is functioning. It shows you the way a family is functioning. It shows you the way a father is functioning in this regard and trying to take care of his daughter in this society and in these difficult circumstances. Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu, his wife was Ruqayya, the daughter of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu missed the battle of Badr because he was taking care of his wife Ruqayya who was sick, the daughter of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Ruqayya passed away on the same day that the victory of Badr came. So they said it was the day of great joy and the day of great sadness. So Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he tells the story from his perspective. It only made sense to him, my daughter for Uthman, right? Let me go to Uthman. Who better than Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu? This person was known for his generosity, for his shyness, for his goodness, for his character. One of the first Muslims and he just lost his wife on the same day of Badr. And my daughter Hafsa lost her husband after Badr. Who better than Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu? So Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu says that when my daughter Hafsa lost her husband Khunais, who was one of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu and he fought in the Battle of Badr and he died in Medina. He said, I met Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu and I said to him, in shi'ta an kahtuka hafsa. If you want, I would like to propose hafsa in marriage to you. I want you to consider marrying my daughter. Now Uthman radiallahu anhu says, let me think about it and get back to you. So Umar al-Khattab said, I waited some time. Then I saw Uthman and I went, to, I went to visit him. And when he saw me coming to him, he entered into his salah. So he said, I, so that's odd, right? So Umar was waiting for him and he said, he clearly took his time in his prayer because he didn't want to talk to me. So Umar is deeply offended, right? He's like, what in the world is happening to my friends? Like I'm I'm trying to offer you my daughter. Like, what's wrong with Hafsa? Why don't you want to marry my daughter Hafsa? And Uthman anhu was going into his salah for a long time. He said, then I caught him sometime after that. And I said to him, um, you didn't give me an answer. So he said, you know, He said, I thought about it and I just decided I'm not ready to get married yet. All right. So Uthman basically told him no. And that was deeply offensive to Umar ibn Khattab anhu. He wasn't expecting that. Then he said, I went to Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now Abu Bakr is greater than Uthman in terms of character and in terms of rank, right? And we're talking about the three greatest people after the Prophet And this is all playing out with those three people, right? And he goes to Abu Bakr and the reason why he didn't go to Abu Bakr first, many of the scholars say, is because the circumstances of Uthman just made perfect sense, right? Uthman just lost his wife. Hafsa just lost her husband. It makes sense. But he goes to Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he says to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu the same thing. He said, listen, you know, if you'd like, I'd like to offer my daughter Hafsa to you in marriage. And he said, Abu Bakr just stared at me and stayed quiet. He didn't say anything. Abu Bakr didn't know what to say. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is an eloquent man. So he said, فَكُنْتُ عَلَيْهِ أَوْجَدْ He said, I was more upset with Abu Bakr than I was Uthman. Like at least say something to me. He just kind of stared at me in silence until I, I walked away. And I took from his silence that he wasn't interested. So he said, I was so upset. I'm, I'm mad at Abu Bakr, I'm mad at Uthman. Why doesn't anyone want to marry my daughter? So he said, I spent a few days. Then I went to the Prophet Now he went to the Prophet to complain about Abu Bakr and Uthman not wanting to marry Hafsa or the way they answered him. And the Prophet he says to me, 
that Uthman will marry someone better than your daughter and your daughter will marry someone better than Uthman. And of course, this was the good news to Uthman and the good news to Umar that the Prophet Sallallahu himself would marry Hafsa radiallahu anha and Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu was going to marry the second daughter, Umm Kulthum of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was to offer his next daughter to Uthman radiallahu anhu and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would marry um, Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha uh, himself. Umar radiallahu anhu was full of joy. He actually said, Allahu Akbar. He's, he's excited. Like this is the best news he's ever gotten. He's going to now be in a family relationship with the Prophet Sallallahu And that's the most beloved thing in the world to him. But he's still mad at Abu Bakr and Uthman. So he's, he's like, I'm, I'm happy with this, but I'm still mad at them. So sometime after that, Abu Bakr and Uthman come and they find Umar and they say, are you upset with us? And he said, yes. And they said, look, the only reason why we acted that way is because the Prophet ﷺ mentioned Hafsa. We already were in on the secret. So we didn't want to give up his secret, but at the same time, you know, we had to find a way to escape the awkward situation. And Abu Bakr said, If it wasn't, you know, if the Prophet ﷺ did not mention her, of course, it would have been an honor to be in this, in, in this relationship uh, with you. But through this, the Prophet would marry Hafsa anha, and Uthman anhu would marry uh, Umm Kulthum, the daughter of the Prophet The marriage took place in Sha'ban, in Sha'ban, three years after Hijrah in some narrations. So Sha'ban would be their anniversary month, right? We're in Sha'ban right now. And so this is the month before Ramadan in which they got married. And so now you have the, you know, you, you have this relationship that's solidified with all four of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, all four of the closest companions to the Prophet He is married to the daughter of Abu Bakr and Umar, his two best friends. And Uthman is married to his daughter, two of his daughters now because his first daughter passed away. And Ali is married to Fatima. May Allah be pleased with them all. So this is the initial setup that you have within this society of Medina. And you can imagine a life which is very important, you know, subhanAllah, as you're trying to envision Medina at the time of the Prophet where the Prophet has his two best friends, Abu Bakr and Umar, who he described as a sam'u wal basar, my, my sight and my hearing. And anywhere he goes, you always see Abu Bakr and Umar, and I Abu Bakr and Umar did this, and I Abu Bakr and Umar saw this, and the Prophet ﷺ is married to their daughters. So just as we talk about marriage as a function at that time, you know, people used to solidify alliances. They used to solidify tribal loyalties at the time through, uh, through these various marriages. The Prophet ﷺ is married to the daughters of his two best friends. And so these two best friends now come to the house of the Prophet ﷺ and they're entering into their own home, right? Abu Bakr enters the home of his daughter. Umar enters the home of his daughter. The fathers are best friends and Aisha and Hafsa become very close friends as well. Remember when we mentioned the camps, Sauda, Aisha, Hafsa. Aisha and Hafsa became very, very close friends. May Allah be pleased with them. And of course, sometimes that was funny because you have the story of the, the prank gone wrong. Aisha radiallahu anha mentioning that Hafsa and I switched up the, uh, the hoj the, 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 uh, the, you know, the ride on the way back from a journey and the Prophet ﷺ didn't know which one he was talking to. And then, you know, it turned out that it didn't go in her favor because 
the Prophet ﷺ ended up being with Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, as well as the incident of Surah Tahrim, which was the incident in which they both agreed to tell the Prophet ﷺ that his breath smelled a certain way after he consumed the honey from Zainab bint Jahsa radiallahu ta'ala anha. So these two, Aisha and Hafsa, develop a very special relationship as their fathers, Abu Bakr and Umar, had a very special relationship. And as did their relationship with the Prophet ﷺ improve and bring an even greater sense of closeness and joy now that they were all family in the society in Medina. So this is really solidifying the alliances with the four Khulafa al-Rashidin in that society. And there are several incidents where their story is really tied together. Uh, so for example, uh, Urwa narrates from Aisha, she says, Kuntu ana wa hafsa imataini. Uh, that Hafsa and I were one day fasting, that they were both undertaking a voluntary fast. We were so hungry. Remember that the Prophet lived in extreme poverty. So she's saying we were so hungry and there was some food that came to us while we were both starving. And so we both broke our fast and we started to eat. So it was a voluntary fast. They broke their fast and they started to eat. So basically, now they're, they're talking to each other about how they're going to bring this up to the Prophet ﷺ. Because remember now, the legislation is unclear about what happens when you break your fast, right? They intentionally broke their fast, but it was a voluntary fast. So they don't know the hukum, they don't know the ruling in this regard. And they're both kind of nervous about what they're going to say to the Prophet ﷺ. So Aisha is trying to you know, cook up a way to break this to the Prophet ﷺ. And she says that Hafsa radiallahu anha had this guilty conscience, super guilty conscience. So as soon as the Prophet came, Badarat ilayhi Hafsa abiha. So as soon as the Prophet came, she rushed to the Prophet to tell him what happened, and she was the daughter of her father. What does she mean by she was the daughter of her father? Remember when the Prophet said about Aisha, that she's the daughter of Abu Bakr? The Prophet was praising the eloquence of Aisha, that Abu Bakr was known عنه, for his eloquence. Aisha anha had that eloquence, just like her father uh, had. When Aisha anha says about Hafsa, Ibn to Abiha, she's just like her father, she truly is the daughter of her father, she's speaking to that guilty conscience. That when Umar anhu felt like he upset the Prophet وسلم, or he did something wrong, it was the end of the world for him. Right? I mean, Surah Al-Hujurat comes down about them raising their voices. And Umar who has this booming voice, now he talks like so low that he's whispering and you can't even hear him. You have to ask him to repeat himself. He cries and he thinks he's destroyed anytime he upsets the Prophet So Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha was worried that we just committed a major sin. So while her and Aisha kind of have this whole plan about how they're gonna break the news to the Prophet Hafsa just immediately tells him what happens. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that it's okay, uh, you simply make up the day and don't worry about it, right? Because breaking a, a mandatory fast is impermissible. But we take from this the fiqh, the understanding that if you voluntarily fast, if you break a voluntary fast, then there's no sin on you. And of course, a person can simply make it up at a later time, right? So this is the backstory of that incident between the Prophet and Hafsa and Aisha, may Allah be pleased with them. 
You also see that from the story of Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, this idea of access to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam through now, you know, Hafsa, both from her father as well as her brother Abdullah. So the two narrations, um, and some of the scholars say that it refers to the same incident, both of them a dream that Abdullah had, and he asks his sister Hafsa, who's now the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to explain that dream. Uh, in one narration, Abdullah says, and Hafsa's his older sister, he says that the Prophet after Fajr used to say, whoever has a dream that they want to share with us, share the dream. So people would come to the Prophet and they'd share their good dreams that they had. And the Prophet would give them the glad tidings of that. So he said, I wanted to have a dream that I could share with the Prophet And he said, I used to spend all of my time in the masjid in the time of the Prophet So he was a righteous young man who was attached to the Prophet and attached to the mosque at the time of the Prophet And he said, but instead I saw this dream that two angels took hold of me and they took me to the fire and they held me outside the fire. And he said, I saw people inside of that fire. I knew who they were. And I said, A'udhu Billahi min anar, A'udhu Billahi min anar. I seek refuge in Allah from the fire. I seek refuge in Allah from the fire. And then the angel said, do not worry, this is not your place. And they took me away. So the good part of the dream was that I didn't end up in the fire. The scary part was that I was taken there in the first place. It wasn't a good dream altogether. So he was too shy to ask the Prophet And when he was too shy to ask the Prophet something directly, he went to his sister Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Hafsa asked the Prophet about this dream. And the Prophet said, Ni'mal rajul Abdullah, what a good young man Abdullah is, if only he'd pray a little bit at night. If only he'd add a little bit of prayer to his night. So he's a good young man. He knows everything he says to Hafsa is going to get back to Abdullah. But if only, if only he would pray a little bit more at night. SubhanAllah. And Abdullah, you know, as, as is narrated from, uh, from Salim, after that, he used to sleep very little at night because of that dream that he had. In another dream or in the same incident, but the first part of the dream, he said, I saw in a dream, وَفِي يَدِي سَرَقَةً مِنْ حَرِيرٍ He said that I had in my dream a piece of silk, a silk garment. And he said, in any direction that I pointed it to in Jannah, I flew to that place in paradise. So it's a beautiful dream. I had this cloth and any direction that I pointed it to and I looked to this place in Jannah, the cloth would fly me to that place in Jannah. So he said, I asked my sister Hafsa what what this means and she said, I asked the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ said, Inna akhaki rajulun salih. Your brother is a good young man, is a righteous young man. Your brother is a righteous young man. So Umar anhu now has access through Hafsa anha. Abdullah now has access through Hafsa anha. But what about her? Hafsa's greatest effect, and in her personality, she wasn't someone like Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. She wasn't someone that was very public. She wasn't someone that used to you know, engage society the way that our mother Aisha radiallahu anha would. In her experience with the Prophet sallallahu she adopts this incredible habit of qiyamul layl, praying at night. She adopts the habit of fasting constantly. And she adopts the Qur'an 
the recitation of the Quran and she adopts his zuhd sallallahu alayhi wasallam, his abstinence from this world. So Hafsa, what distinguishes Hafsa radiallahu anha? If you were to meet her, what was she like? Just like her father, right? You know, extremely God conscious, had this extreme level of taqwa, connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where she is known as a sawama al-qawwam, the one who fasts and the one who prays. You meet this woman, what's she usually doing? She's fasting during the day, she's praying at night, radiallahu ta'ala anha, and she narrates much of the zuhud, much of the abstinence, the asceticism of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam from this world. So she was asked, what was your mattress like? What was your mattress like in the house of the Prophet sallallahu the most powerful man in the world? What did your bed look like? And she said that all we had was this one, you know, fabric of wool, like a blanket. It wasn't even a real mattress. And she said that we would fold it in two to sleep at night. And one night I thought to myself, let me fold it into four and let the Prophet Sallallahu have a more comfortable sleep. SubhanAllah, that's, what, that's what's happening in the, in, in the house of the most powerful man in the world. Let me take this blanket and make it four, you know, or fold it into uh, an even smaller area so that the Prophet Sallallahu can have a more comfortable sleep. And she said, so I did that. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he slept. And then the Prophet Sallallahu said, uh, let's go back to the way it used to be because this chipped away at my performing Qiyam. He felt Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was slower to get up for the night prayer, SubhanAllah, because the bed got a little bit more comfortable. So she narrates this from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She says, I used to see the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam before Salat al-Fajr, before he would go out for the Fajr prayer, that he would pray two rak'ahs Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He'd pray his units of prayer within the home and he wouldn't leave for Fajr until he prayed his sunnah of Fajr inside the home Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And she narrates something so powerful um, because all of her narrations actually have to do with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi worship. She doesn't have nearly as many narrations as Aisha, by the way, only about 60 total. They're almost all about the ibadah, the worship of the Prophet She says that I never saw the Prophet sitting in his night prayer until the last year of his life, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But she said that he would recite Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, He would recite it slowly, measured, and you could hear every letter that the Prophet was reciting. And she said, until when he started to pray sitting down, he made his surahs, his recitation longer than it used to be. So it's as if the Prophet has such ihsan, such excellence in his worship, that when the Prophet was getting older, remember what Aisha said, why he started praying sitting down? Does anyone remember what she said? Anybody? She said, people broke him down. He got burnt out due to his service of the people. So when he got older and he's praying at night, she said, he started to increase the recitation, like to make up for the change in posture. And one narration, they asked her, what was his recitation like? And she's saying, you wouldn't be able to match it. And they asked her, oh, our mother, what was his recitation like? And so she recited, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawm al-Deen. The narrators say that she recited each ayah slowly and with a pause between each one to suggest the Prophet never used to connect the ayats at night. He would read an ayah and then he would take his time supplicating, crying, connecting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So 
This is one of the narrations where she recited the ayat disconnected from behind a curtain to them to impress upon them. You can't match the recitation of the Prophet You don't know what his recitation was like. It was so beautiful. It was so uh, profound. Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha also became a hafidah of Qur'an. She herself became one of those who memorized the Qur'an along with Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And this was not the common uh, you know, thing at the time for men or women to memorize the entire Qur'an, but she is someone who would memorize the entire Qur'an. She learned how to read and write. Uh, and of course, literacy was not common at the time. And the person that taught her how to read and write was a woman by the name of Ashifa bint Abdullah uh, al-Adawiyya radiallahu ta'ala anha. We also have an episode about if you go back to season one, a short episode about Ashifa bint Abdullah was a woman who was uh, you know, skilled in reading and writing, literacy, calligraphy, in medicine radiallahu ta'ala anha. And she taught Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha uh, how to write and how to, uh, you know, how to advance in her literacy. And there's one narration in Abu Dawood where the Prophet entered upon Hafsa and Shifa bint Abdullah al-Adawiyah was there. And the Prophet said, أَلَا تُعَلِّمِينَ هَذِهِ رُقْيَةَ النَّمْلَ كَمَا عَلَّمْتِيهَا الْكِتَابَ Will you not teach her the ruqya, the cure for ants, the way that you have taught her how to read and write? Now there's an interesting uh, interpretation here and you'll, you'll see from Ibn Hajar and others uh, in, the, in the explanation of this hadith, that there are two opinions as to what the Prophet meant when he said ruqyat al-namla. One of them, anna al-kalama ala zahirihi. A lot of the scholars said, it means exactly what it sounds like it means, a cure or some sort of medicine for ant bites or to protect yourself from the ants. Why? Because her name was Ashifa. She was a healer and she knew, you know, different types of medicines. And obviously if you live in the type of house the Prophet lived in, there were ant bites and all types of bites, right? So some of them said, Al-Kalam ala zahirihi, that it is what it, it, it apparently means. And some of them said, Karimatu qalil arus li ta'rifiha biwajibat zawja. She said that some of them said uh, that uh, this was, that they called ruqyat al namla, it was like the things that you would say to a bride. Uh, so that she could know the duties of marriage. And what was included in that was to be dutiful to the husband, you know, and to, and to honor the husband. So it was something like that they would whisper. They called it ruqyat namla because it was like the ants, right? Soft sound, which you tell the bride about how to honor her husband. And they said the Prophet was joking with her uh, because the Prophet was saying maybe if she knew Ruqyat and Namla, she wouldn't have gotten herself in trouble. Uh, and so the, what's alluded to in Surah Tahreen, when uh, they, they uh, applauded with the Prophet to tell him that his breath smelled a certain way after he ate the honey uh, from the house of Zainab. So, some, so again, some of the scholars say this and some of them say that, and both of them actually fit uh, in this situation. And you find that some of her narrations are actually tafsir of Qur'an. Uh, so one of them, she said, I heard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, That no one will enter the fire from the people who took the pledge under the tree. This is talking about Hudaybiyyah, Bay'atul Ridwan, the pledge that was taken under the tree. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was saying, Insha'Allah, no one will enter into the fire. No one will be punished who took part 
uh, in that. And she said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, but what about the ayah, wa in minkum illa wariduha, that every one of you will touch it. And the Prophet said, didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say after that, that we will save and rescue those who were pious and we will leave the oppressors and the wrongdoers uh, to their punishment. So a conversation taking part in the house of the Prophet where Hafsa is asking the Prophet about the Quran to explain certain ayat. These are some of the verses that you have as well. Now, the most prominent incident of Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha uh, is actually the incident of At-Talaq, the incident of the divorce. Now, I'm going to go through this incident because it's the longest narration in regards to Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha. And it has, you know, significant human elements and that you can, you can, you know, you can feel the emotions that are coming through this hadith. And we alluded to this last week with Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, basically is giving his, his spouses a choice between the comfort of this world and the hereafter, right? And of course, the mistake that Aisha and Hafsa made with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So listen to how this is narrated because it's beautiful. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, he says, I waited a whole year to ask Umar bin Khattab about this incident. Like I was plotting for this entire year to find an opening where I could ask Umar bin Khattab who Allah is talking about when he says, in tatuba ilallah, if you too repent to Allah, who the two women are that are being spoken about in Surah Al-Tahreem. The relationship of Ibn Abbas and Umar is a beautiful relationship. Ibn Abbas was a young man who basically sleeps at the doorsteps of the companions and tries to gather the incidents and the narrations and everything that he can, the history, the oral history of every companion with the Prophet And he had a special relationship with Umar al-Khattab So he said, I spent an entire year waiting for the right moment where I could ask Umar, who's this ayah talking about? So he said, we went to Hajj together. And during Hajj, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you know, he went out to relieve himself. And uh, I went out with him and I was carrying a bucket of water so that, you know, he could relieve himself. He could use the restroom. I could do the same. You know, uh, we could do wudu together uh, afterwards. So he said, we go out. So think about this, this conversation happening in Mina and Hajj, the Mina tents. There was no VIP back then. It was just the tents of Mina and it was kind of out there in the desert, right? So Abdullah ibn Abbas is saying, I spent a whole year waiting for my moment. Here's my moment to ask him about this verse because it's a little sensitive because I'm pretty sure the ayah is talking about his daughter, right? So I'm waiting for the right time to ask him about this ayah. Umar radiallahu anhu goes and he relieves himself. He comes back. I've got a bucket of water. I start pouring the water on his hands and he starts doing wudu. And I said to myself, all right, now's the time. So I said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, من المرأتين من أزواج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم اللتان قال لهما إن تتوب إلى الله. Oh, commander of the believers, who are the two women that Allah is talking about in this verse? Casual wudu conversation in Mina, right? It's just me and Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. So Umar radiallahu anhu immediately he says, I'm surprised you don't know. It's Aisha and Hafsa, and then you have this long narration. Umar radiallahu anhu gives him the whole story, exactly what he wanted. Right? 
out when they're doing Hajj to get together, in Mina doing wudu, and then Umar radiallahu anhu, he goes on and he tells him the whole backstory of that ayah. So he says, I and this neighbor from the Ansar, uh, from Bani Umayyah ibn Zayd, we used to live in the Awali in Medina. Uh, the Awali, Awali literally means the higher grounds. The Awali, that's the area of Masjid Quba. You notice a lot of the palm trees and things of that sort. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, I and this companion of mine from the Ansar, we used to live there. And we basically made an agreement that when one of us can't be with the Prophet ﷺ, the other one will document everything that happened and come back and tell the other person what we missed. So talk about a relationship of, of talab al-ilm, a relationship of seeking knowledge. So if Umar can't be there with the Prophet ﷺ, he waits for his neighbor to come home. He says, tell me everything I missed today. So he'll tell him everything that he missed. So he said, uh, continuing on, that we the people of Quraysh, this is really interesting. He says, we the people of Quraysh, we used to have authority over our women. But then once we came to live with the Ansar, he said that we noticed that the Ansari women had the upper hand over their men. He said, So he said, our women from Mecca got messed up by the women in Medina from the Ansar. The women of Mecca started to act like the women of Medina, right? They had a stronger personality. And subhanAllah, you'll, you'll, you'll notice like Ibn Athir and others, they'll say just the nature of how, you know, subhanAllah, there's a, there's a sociological element to this, right? The people of Mecca, you know, had a different lifestyle. The people of Medina were an agricultural people. So the idea of women's involvement in society was different than the idea of women's idea, Ahlu Tijara in Mecca, right? So he's saying that we came to Medina and then it all got messed up, you know, because the women of Mecca started to see how the women of Medina were uh, with, with their husbands. So he says, so one time I got into an argument with my wife. It's the human element, right? So he said that, فَسِحْتُ عَلَى امْرَأَتِي That I raised my voice at my wife. فَرَاجَعَتْنِي And then she raised her voice at me. So I was surprised that she responded to me that way. I was like, what's going on here? So she said to me, you know, why are you surprised? You know, why are you surprised? So why are you surprised? Because even the wives of the Prophet sometimes they raise their voice at the Prophet too. So this is like, you just shattered my world twice. First of all, you know, what's happening here? And, and subhanAllah, in one of these narrations, Umar radiallahu anhu has the famous narration, Kunna la na We used to not regard women with anything until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed what he revealed about them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allocated to them what he allocated about them. So the change in attitude. So Umar radiallahu anhu was talking about his own change of attitude here, right? He's saying, what do you mean the wise of the Prophet raised their voice at the Prophet And he says, خَابَتْ مَنْ فَعَلَ مِنْهُنَّ بِعَظِيمٍ Umar radiallahu anhu said, if someone raises their voice at the Prophet then they're in big trouble, right? I mean, what kind, of a, what, what kind of devastation do you have to be in if you raise your voice at the Prophet Realize who Umar is. Umar radiallahu anhu was so afraid to upset the Prophet was so afraid to raise his voice in the presence of the Prophet So to him, the hayba, the, the, the awe that he has of the Messenger he can't fathom like, wait, what? This happens? This is a thing? So he said, 
I immediately got dressed and I went to Hafsa. I went to my daughter and I said to her, do any one of you really raise your voices at the Prophet and you know, like you have marital arguments and sometimes you don't talk until the nighttime. And she responded and she said, yes. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, anhu, he says, خَابَتْ وَخَسِرَتْ أَفَتَأْمَنُ أَنْ يَغْضَبَ اللَّهُ لِغَضَبِ رَسُولِهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَتَهْلِكِينَ You know, what great loss you would be in, how devastated would you be, what a loser you would be if Allah gets mad at you. Aren't you afraid that Allah will, will get mad at you because of the Prophet anger with you? And then you would be destroyed if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala became angry with you. So he's saying to her at that point, لَا تَسْتَكْثِرِي عَلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ don't, don't ask too much of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. وَلَا تُرَاجِعِيهِ فِي شَيْءٍ And don't respond to him in any way. وَلَا تَهْجُرِيهِ And do not abandon him. Don't desert him صلى الله عليه وسلم. Like never leave his side صلى الله عليه وسلم. وَاسْأَلِينِي مَا بَدَى لَكِ If you have anything you want to ask him or you, you want to solve something, just come to me. Like I'll handle it for you. Don't do this to yourself. And she says, and don't think you're like, he says to her, don't think you're like Aisha. You know, and, and in one narration, he says, and your father is not like the father of Aisha. Like, don't, don't put yourself on the same level of Aisha with the Prophet Wasallam. You're not like Aisha and your father is not like her father to the Prophet Wasallam. He's being a protective father. He's trying to calm the situation down and he's trying to give her, you know, advice to not mess this up, to not make this situation bad. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, so I went home. Then remember the neighbor, right? The neighbor uh, from the Ansar. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, there were rumors circulating in Medina that the Ghassanis uh, were preparing an attack on us. If you remember the Battle of Mu'tah, the Battle of Mu'tah happened because of this Ghassani uh, chief who killed the messenger of the Prophet in a brutal way. And the idea was they're waging war on the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. And they were a huge army. So this is actually the pretext to the Battle of Mu'tah, where Zayd anhu and Ja'far anhu and Abdullah ibn Rawaha uh, were martyred. May Allah be pleased with them. So Umar anhu is saying this is sort of the atmosphere in Medina right now, that the rumors are starting to swirl that the Ghassanis are going to attack us. And suddenly, my companion, my neighbor from the Ansar, that guy, he comes back in the middle of the night and he's knocking on my door violently. He's banging on my door. So I thought to myself, maybe they're invading. So he said, I got up, I went to the door. I said, what happened? Are they here? Did the Ghassanis come? And he said, no, even worse than that. I said, what happened? And this is how the rumor mill starts. He said, The Prophet divorced all of his wives. Umar was like, oh no. <laughs> all right, not, not one of them, not Hafsa, all of them are done. Prophet divorced all of them. So Umar ta'ala anhu, he said, I said to myself, Khabat Hafsa wa Khasirat. Hafsa, you know, is in great loss. She's in trouble. I told her not to do this. I knew this was going to happen. So he said, I got dressed. I went and I prayed Fajr with the Prophet Then the Prophet he entered into this room where he was all by himself and I went to Hafsa and she was crying. I said, why are you crying? And 
you know, I said to her, did the Prophet ﷺ divorce you? And she said, I don't know. And Umar anhu, he said, where is he? So she pointed to the room that the Prophet ﷺ is. And so he said, I went out and I, you know, I, I went to the room where the Prophet ﷺ was staying and Bilal anhu was standing in front of the room. The Prophet ﷺ was having his alone time. So I said to Bilal, can I have permission to enter in to see the Prophet ﷺ? And Bilal anhu asked the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ didn't say anything. So he told Umar, he said, listen, I mentioned you and the Prophet ﷺ didn't say anything. So after some time, he said, I couldn't, you know, I sat in the masjid and I couldn't bear the situation for myself. So I went back to Bilal again and I said, can you please ask permission for me to enter upon the Prophet So he went in and he came back with the same message. And then as I was walking away, nervous, Bilal called me back and he said, Rasulullah has given you permission to enter. So he said, you'll start to see SubhanAllah some of these narrations that you've heard in isolation of one, one another. He said, I entered in and I saw the Prophet ﷺ laying down on these branches. His bed was just a bed of these branches, وسلم, and this pillow that had a little bit of leather in it. And the Prophet ﷺ rose up and because of how uh, poor the Prophet ﷺ was or the poverty that he was living in, وسلم, the marks on his back, وسلم, so he's noticing like he came there for one thing, but then he's devastated because he's seeing the poverty that the Prophet ﷺ uh, is in. So he said, you know, I, I said, Salaamu Alaikum to the Prophet Sallallahu And the Prophet Sallallahu uh, said, Wa Alaikum Salaam. And he said, I'm standing up and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi sitting down. I said, Ya Rasulullah, did, did you divorce your wives? And the Prophet Sallallahu he said, no. So he said, I said, Allahu Akbar. Kabbara, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. All right, so I dodged the bullet. So still not a good situation. Right? Because clearly I, I still want to find out what's happening. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that, I then said, and he said, I was trying to strike up conversation with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I said, Kunna ma'ashara Quraysh naghribu nisa falamma qadimna ala qawman taghribuhum nisa'uhum that we in Quraysh, we used to be people, we used to be men, we used to, we used to have authority over our women. Then we came into contact with these people in Medina and we found that their women have authority over them. And Umar anhu starts telling the story to the Prophet So he says, فَتَبَسَّمَ النَّبِي صَلَّى Like the Prophet just smiled at me. Like, Phew. all right. Like he knows what Umar is trying to do. Umar anhu is trying to prepare the ground for this conversation. So Umar anhu said, I saw the Prophet smile. So then I said, so I went to Hafsa. So he starts talking about his conversation with Hafsa. And I told her, don't think you're like Aisha. Don't think you're like her in terms of beauty or in terms of rank with the Prophet Don't compare yourself. And you better listen to the Prophet and don't, don't respond to the Prophet And he said, the Prophet smiled again, right? Like Umar is a nervous father trying to figure out how to, you know, make sure that nothing bad happens, that there is no dissolution of this marriage. So he says, فَجَلَسْتُ حِينَ رَأَيْتُهُ تَبَسَّمَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ So then after the Prophet ﷺ, you know, responded uh, with the smile, second smile, you know, I, I felt like I kind of broke the ice. So he said, I went and I sat with the Prophet ﷺ. So now he sit down and talk to the Prophet ﷺ. And he said, then I looked around the room. I said, subhanAllah, there's nothing here. 
Like this man is the most powerful man in the world, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he owns nothing. He said, I just saw three skins that were worth anything, like from a, from a worldly perspective. And I'm looking around and as I'm, uh, I'm, I'm staring uh, at this, this situation, I said, Ya Rasulullah, ask Allah to make your followers prosperous, like the Persians and the Romans have been made prosperous. You know, and, and he, he actually says that I said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, in particular, وَهُمْ لَا يَعْبُدُونَ Allah." Like Allah has given them so much of this world and they don't worship Allah. See, that's the, that's the statement here you need to pay attention to. So he, he said, I said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Make dua to Allah and Allah will expand for this ummah. He'll provide for this ummah. فَإِنَّ فَارِسَ وَالرُّومُ وُسِّعَ عَلَيْهِمْ وَأُعْتُوا الدُّنْيَا وَهُمْ لَا يَعْبُدُونَ اللَّهِ Because the Persians and the Romans have so much, you know, sustenance and they don't worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said, وَكَانَ مُتَّكِئًا صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ The Prophet وسلم, you know, he, he, was, he was reclining this entire time. But when I said that, the Prophet وسلم, he sat up and he said, أَوَفِي شَكٍ أَنْتَ يَبْنِ الْخَطَّابِ He said, are you in doubt, O Umar? Are you in doubt, O child of Al-Khattab? They are a people who Allah has hastened their goodness through perishable worldly goods. And our reward is in the hereafter. So aren't you pleased though, Umar? They have this material world. We have the hereafter we're seeking. SubhanAllah how this conversation changed. Like this conversation was supposed to be, please don't divorce my daughter. Then this conversation became like you live in such poverty, but you have so much opportunity. You could take advantage of that power. You could take advantage of that prestige. Why are you living this way, Ya Rasulullah? And why are you depriving yourself of this world? And the Prophet ﷺ affirming him once again that we don't seek this dunya, we seek the hereafter. So he said, فَقُلْتُ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ لِي O Messenger of Allah, please seek forgiveness for me. And the Prophet ﷺ sought forgiveness for me. And Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha takes over the story. She said that I was crying because I was wondering what my situation was going to be. So then she said, the Prophet ﷺ came to me. Um, and so I put on my clothes and she was crying with some of her maternal relatives from, uh, from Banu Mad'un. And she said that the Prophet ﷺ came to me and he said, Atani Jibreel sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Jibreel sallallahu alayhi wasallam came to me and he said, Rajah Hafsa fa innaha sawwama qawwama wa innaha zawjatuka fil jannah. Take back Hafsa because she is a woman who fasts and a woman who prays and she is your wife in paradise. SubhanAllah, this is so profound because the scholars mention Allah revealed the innocence of Aisha radiallahu anha through the Quran. And, you know, removed her from those claims. With Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, the intercession on her behalf was not just a random intercession. It wasn't that she's the daughter of Umar al-Khattab. It wasn't that. It was innaha sawwama qawwama. This is a woman that fasts a lot and this is a woman that prays a lot. Meaning she's celebrated in the heavens. Hafsa's name is plentiful radiallahu ta'ala anha in the heavens due to her excess of qiyam, her excess of the night prayer and her excess of fasting those extra days. And she is your wife in paradise.
And so the Prophet uh, took her back. SubhanAllah, there's so much to unpack here in this regard. But if you go back to what she narrated back to her brother who had that dream, that your brother is a good man, if only he'd pray a little bit more at night. And how she, being the transmitter of so many of those advices, was applying that in her own right, radiallahu ta'ala anha. And so the Prophet وسلم, uh, took her back, radiallahu anha, as he did uh, you know, the, 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 the entirety uh, of, his, uh, of his family, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What we also find is that Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, of course, went to Hajj with the Prophet وسلم, and she narrates some of the ibadah of the Prophet in Hajj. She is the one who narrates uh, that she saw the people remove the ihram from themselves, meaning they uh, fulfilled their ihram. And the Prophet وسلم, did not do tahallul. He did not remove his ihram at that point. And she said, I asked the Prophet وسلم, what is wrong with the people that they have come out of their ihram and you are still in your ihram. And the Prophet وسلم, said that I brought my hadi, I brought my sacrifice with me. Had I not brought it with me, then I would have done tahallul as well. But instead the Prophet وسلم, combined. So this is the difference between Hajj Quran and Hajj uh, Tamattu'ah. The Prophet وسلم, combined his ihram. So he remained in ihram وسلم, until he had the one sacrifice uh, till the end that sufficed for both. Whereas the people who came and did Umrah and then did Hajj later on were able to separate uh, between those two. So she narrated ta'ala anha, uh, some of the Hajj of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She also narrates that when the Prophet Sallallahu was passing away, and of course, you know, SubhanAllah, it's really interesting because you can see that when the Prophet Sallallahu was dying, everyone wants a piece of that moment. Everyone wants to have their connection, their everlasting connection to that. And no one has a greater fadl, a greater virtue than Aisha radiallahu anha with the Prophet Sallallahu dying in her lap. But she says that it was my tub that she had a brass tub. I mean, this, these are the simple possessions of these people that, um, that the Prophet would bathe in and that they would pour water on him because of the uh, extensive nature, the intensity of his fever, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so she kept that tub that the Prophet a brass tub that the Prophet um, you know, took his, his last few bats in alayhi salatu wasalam. Uh, before he passed away. And of course she had the, the narrations, the memories of the Prophet ﷺ kissing her on a day of fasting and, uh, and some of those shared moments with the Prophet ﷺ. Now, if you remember, she's like her father. How devastated Umar anhu was by the death of the Prophet ﷺ. Hafsa anha was devastated by the death of the Prophet ﷺ. And she basically resigned herself to a very quiet life after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. And again, there's a human element here. Some of those closest to the Prophet وسلم, became teachers on a frequent basis, giving public lectures, narrating multiple ahadith, Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, and some of them really kind of resigned themselves at that point. Uh, they stayed in that place and they waited for that moment where they could long for the Prophet وسلم, once again and be with the Prophet وسلم. There's a very touching incident between her and Umar. And subhanAllah, her and her father were extremely close. And one of those incidents where she saw her father, subhanAllah, look how the times move on. She saw her father, who's the Khalifa at this point, who's now the leader. And Umar is walking around, he's got stitches in his garment, right? Umar just had so much poverty that was visible on him. And she said to him, you know, oh my father, why don't you dress with something that's nicer? 
that's easier for you. And you know what she said? She said, Omar, my father said to me, don't you remember how your husband used to dress? Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Remember the state, the difficult life the Prophet had? And they both started to cry and they embraced each other crying, remembering the poverty of the Prophet SubhanAllah, you know, you'll find this consistently. Aisha radiallahu anha crying when a good meal was in front of her because she remembers that the Prophet didn't have those good meals. And now Hafsa radiallahu anha and Umar radiallahu anhu crying because they remember the clothes the Prophet used to have and the, the difficulty that the Prophet وسلم, uh, lived in. And she is the one who narrates the famous hadith she said, I used to hear my father uh, making this dua. And there are different narrations. Allahumma qatlan fi sabilik wa wafatan bi baladi nabiyik. And there are different narrations that, oh Allah, I ask you for martyrdom in your path in the city of your Prophet. So I said to my father, Anna laka dharika ya aba. How is that even possible, O oh my father? Because Shahada, martyrdom was in the battlefield. Medina was not a place where battles would take place, right? Medina is a safe space. So you're thinking about Shahada, you're thinking about Syria, you're thinking about Egypt, you're thinking about different parts of the world. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu responded to her and said, Ya'ti bihi Allah Allah will make it happen if he wants. I'm just gonna make a dua sincere and I'll let it happen as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees fit. So Umar radiallahu anhu would ask for two things that seemed impossible, to die a martyr in the city of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And when Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was stabbed, leading the prayer in the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And as he was laying and his wounds were open, uh, Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha was weeping so loudly that the companions were trying to calm her down. So it shows you the relationship she had with her father as well. I mean, it was a deep, tight relationship. And obviously the, the death of Umar radiallahu anhu was a devastating one, right? The stabs, and he was such a big man, so he survived radiallahu anhu longer than most people would with those multiple stab wounds. But she saw her father in that state and she wept loudly radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, even in those moments, he said, Mahlan ya bunayyatu, like calm down, O oh my daughter. Alam ta'lami anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal inna al-mayyita yu'adhabu bibuka'i ahlihi alayhi. Don't you remember the Prophet said that the dead is, is punished by the, uh, the wailing of the family after him? So don't be too loud. Don't, you know, crying is one thing, but remember not to scream and, and, and yell and shout when you see someone that is passing away. So Umar radiallahu anhu subhanallah on this last moment with his daughter, reminding her of a sunnah. Like don't, like let's remember what the Prophet Sallallahu taught us, even as the blood is flowing from him radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that don't cry in that way because uh, we know that the Prophet Sallallahu taught us differently. And so she lost her father radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, as well. Now what happens after that? What is her life after that? Hafsa radiallahu anha has the unique privilege of her home being the home in which the Mus'haf was kept, in which the Qur'an was kept. So the compilation of the Qur'an was kept in her house radiallahu ta'ala anha. And when Uthman radiallahu anhu would make copies of the Qur'an, he borrowed the copy from the house of Hafsa, made those copies and then returned it back to her. So in her house resided that initial copy and compilation of the Qur'an radiallahu ta'ala anha. And just like her father, she was a caretaker of the orphans. So she used to be 
amongst those that would keep orphans in her house all the time. And SubhanAllah, this is a beautiful uh, tradition of the family of Umar. Abdullah ibn Umar would not have a meal without an orphan. He refused to eat food without having a yateen, without having an orphan with him. And Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha's house became a place where she would take care uh, of the orphans. Uh, and she had in her home the daughter of Zayd ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And she was taking care of her. And she lives her life in ibadah, the rest of her life in worship with the Qur'an, sawama, khawama, fasting and praying at night. And Nafi' radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, ma matat hafsatu hatta ma tuftir. Hafsa, you know, by the time she died, it was like she was fasting every single day of her life. Can you imagine, subhanAllah, that's how prominent her fasting was radiallahu anha. The same thing that she was praised by Jibreel alayhi for, she maintained for the rest of her life. When it came to politics, when it came to the fitan, the trials and tribulations, she avoided all of it. And in fact, due to her relationship with Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, when Aisha radiallahu anha went out to protest the assassination of Uthman radiallahu anhu and demand the, uh, that, that the murderers be brought to justice, which was the, the lead up to the Battle of Al-Jamal, she went to Hafsa and Hafsa radiallahu anha uh, declined. And that was at the advice of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma that to stay out of this. And she used to say, Alhamdulillah, I didn't dip my hands in that at all. Like I stayed out of all of it. So she avoided all of the fitna. She avoided the Battle of Al-Jamal, which took place in Iraq. She avoided all of these situations. And she stayed in that house of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, fasting and praying and worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until her last days. She would pass away radiallahu ta'ala anha 45 years after Hijrah. And uh, Aisha radiallahu anha grieved her death. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu was amongst those that carried her body. And her brother Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma entered the grave and, and uh, placed her body inside the grave. Our mother Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha. Now, before you leave, uh, what I'd like to sort of put up to kind of have a visual to this. Um, Hafsa lived in this house and then the orphan girl she was taking care of stayed in the house after her. And then once the orphan girl passed away, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu occupied that home, that dwelling. And uh, when you now go to Al-Madinah and on the men's side, on the men's side, so there are two sides of the Prophet Sallallahu grave, on the men's side, when you stand and give salam to the Prophet Sallallahu and Abu Bakr and Umar, you're actually standing in the house of Hafsa. So I actually wanted to put a visual up, if you could put the first image up. So this is the house of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. This is a visual of what the house of Aisha radiallahu anha was. As we said, subhanAllah, Aisha radiallahu anha had the three moons buried inside her home. And each one of the companions, uh, Abu Bakr to the shoulder of the Prophet sallallahu Umar to the shoulder of Abu Bakr. And subhanAllah, imagine that being your living room. That was the living room of Aisha radiallahu anha, where she resided behind the curtain and she said she was too shy after Umar radiallahu anhu was buried in her home to walk into that room without her hijab. This is the house of the Prophet sallallahu the house of Aisha. The house of Hafsa was literally across the street, if you will, or it was facing directly adjacent. Meaning, uh, if you just pull up a, a modern day uh, visual, can you put up the second picture if you have it? When you go to Medina and you're standing, this is, this is the view of Hafsa radiallahu anha into that house, right? So subhanAllah, like just to, just to give you a sense of the history that you're standing in when you go there.
that as you go through and you say, Assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Assalamu alaikum ya Abu Bakr, Assalamu alaikum ya Umar. You're walking through that house and you're looking at the house of our mother Aisha, radiallahu anha, from the house of our mother Hafsa, radiallahu ta'ala anha, and that is where the Quran was compiled. May Allah have mercy and be pleased with our mothers, uh, all of them, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala join us with them and with the beloved family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his companions and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in al-Firdaus al-A'la, Allahumma ameen. Inshallah ta'ala, uh, next week we will uh, do Zainab bin Jahsh radiallahu ta'ala anha and we will conclude before Ramadan. So bidnillahi ta'ala, I will see you all next week. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.